everyone and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. As you may notice, my voice is back. I have to apologize. I think it's been for the past two episodes, I think. My voice was quite um, hoarse sounding and you will notice that in today's interview, with our guest, my voice also sounds a little off, but I'm back and I'm feeling back to my normal healthy self. So I am super happy about that. And now let me tell you a little bit about today's episode. So just to give you a little bit of a background, I I batch record these podcast interviews. So every Thursday, I have my day blocked off and I sit down with a bunch of guests and record new podcast episodes. So that's what I do on Thursdays. So luckily, I have several podcast episodes pre-recorded. Now, it is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week this week, and I let you all know over on Instagram that every single day this week, my Instagram posts are going to be dedicated to National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. So what I mean by that is Everything that I post over on Instagram this week is going to be raising awareness about eating disorders or eating disorder recovery in some way or another. So I have so far shared about um, like my thoughts about before and after pictures and what my life has been like before and after eating disorder recovery. And also that every single person is deserving of support and treatment and recovery. So just raising awareness about eating disorders all week long over on Instagram. So if you don't follow me on Instagram yet, definitely head over Meg the RHN and you'll find me over there and you can check out my eating disorder awareness related posts. So I just thought that if I am focusing on National Eating Disorder Awareness Week over on Instagram, I would do the same over on our podcast this week. So I'm really excited to introduce you all to a woman I very much admire and have been working with for the past couple of months, Rachel Ray Barnett. I found Rachel over on Instagram several months ago and I was just immediately drawn to her and her incredibly powerful message. She's very passionate about supporting women with body image issues and supporting them to a place of loving their bodies and also changing their 
narrative. This is a big one. This is one of the other reasons why I just felt so connected to Rachel immediately right when I came across her Instagram. So anyways, you are going to learn all about Rachel and why I adore her so much. And I know you will come to feel the same way about her. We talk about As I mentioned, we talk about body image and changing your narrative or your inner dialogue as I talk about so much, but it's really great to get Rachel's input as she has also gone through eating disorder recovery and it was just so great to hear her personal experiences moving through recovery and how she got to where she is today and her favorite tools and techniques of how she supports the women that she works with. So you guys are absolutely going to love today's episode. It really ties into National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. So it's perfectly timed. And um, just a heads up, there is some colorful language used in today's episode. So I just wanted to um, let you guys know about that just in case you're listening to it with little ones around. Just a heads up that some of those words are coming at you today. But it's an absolutely amazing episode and I truly cannot wait for you to meet Rachel. So let's get to today's interview. Hey Rachel, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you on with me today. This is going to be so much fun. Yeah, I'm excited to be here with you. Yeah, well, I came across your Instagram account several months ago, and I was just so excited to find another human that loved talking about body image and loving yourself as you are as much as I did. So I was just really excited, and today is just going to be so much fun chatting with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be some good conversation. Yes. So for anyone who's listening right now and not familiar with your work, can you give us a little intro on yourself? Yeah. So I'm an image and wellness coach. I work predominantly with women through women who've basically just been beaten and bruised and struggled with their body image issues, but also struggled with food and fitness and just finding a home in their body. So I used to be a strength and conditioning coach and a personal trainer, and I don't do a lot of that anymore because I went and got my master's in communication and studied predominantly for my entire degree, women who have body image issues. That's what I focused on. And I started falling in love just with helping people kind of make peace with their plate and make peace with their body. Yeah. So does like your history or personal struggles have anything to do with what led you to where you are today and why you're so passionate about helping other women with their body image? 100%. So it's so funny looking back and as I start to like learn things and put pieces together. So I'm like real into the Enneagram recently. I don't know if you guys, you look into it too, right? And so I'm an eight. I'm a sold 100% hard true eight. And 
it's been so fun because part of an eight, we're just really not okay with injustice, right? Like we fight hard for injustice. And looking back at my history, I had an eating disorder from about 17 to 24, 25. And then I played collegiate soccer. I was a very high level athlete. Somehow was still able to be a high level athlete with an eating disorder. And I just, I put my body through the ringer and I've been through it, right? Like I've been to a psychiatrist, psychologist, I've been on medications and drugs and I've just found freedom on the other side. And there's that saying that's like, once you have an eating disorder, you always have an eating disorder. And I hate that because I don't think it's true. Absolutely. And so I've kind of just made it my life mission to really fight and help every woman I can find acceptance and learn to like their body because it's the only one you have. And I think so many women get stuck in this loop and I see them just kind of wasting their lives because all they do is spend day in and day out hating themselves and nothing gets accomplished, right? Like they try, but so much of their brain space is just focused on their image and their body and their food and that's it. And so I've really kind of taken my past history, found the healing through a long journey of that I had to go through and gone, okay, I have tools. I also have education. I have personal experience. I'm going to fight for every woman that I can and try to help as many women as I can. Mm. So I would love to know more about your journey from going to your really dark days to where you are right now, because you're so inspiring and I love your message. But a lot of our, before we go there, a lot of our listeners do have eating disorders or have history with eating disorders. And I think a lot of us have also heard that message of if you once had an eating disorder, you always have an eating disorder. And you got really fired up about that. So I would love for you to kind of elaborate and give us your thoughts on that since you don't agree with that. Yeah. So I think that statement is basically putting a curse on somebody. You know, it's like saying, oh, you have this problem. You're always going to have it. And I'm like, I'm so like, I'm going to get so fired up because I'm just like, fuck you. Like, how dare you tell me I have a problem for the rest of my life just because I once did, right? So there's a lot of research going back and forth between like, is it just an addiction disease that someone's going to be born with and live with? Is it cultural and societal? And so it's a both and, in my opinion, and it depends person to person from what I've seen in the research. And so a lot of us who have had eating disorders, it's, um, it is a control thing, but it's also usually us trying to respond to a traumatic situation that happened to us. And so we, we do it for safety and security. Right. So we control our food because we're trying to find safety and security in something. And so a lot of women that I interviewed. So when I was in my master's program, I interviewed over 50 women on their body image issues with who had eating disorders and stuff like that, too. And a lot of them are like, I remember being triggered. I remember dad telling me as a kid personally, like, oh, look at your chubby little cheeks in your dress. And while he didn't mean it, little eight year old girl took that offensively, right? Or they watched mom constantly on Weight Watchers and that created unhealthy habits and patterns in them. And they watched their sister struggle with being skinny and all these things. So there's always a cultural aspect that has to come into play. And so for me, I was picked on in elementary school. It started really early for me because I was a huge tomboy. And so I just started noticing that girls didn't really, I didn't vibe well with them and I had a lot of guy friends and I just got picked on all the time for being a tomboy and I was really athletic and 
good Lord, I outgrew everybody in elementary school quick. Like I basically was born and shot out to five, six. And so I'm five, nine, five, 10. I'm somewhere in between that today. Like I'm a, I'm a tall girl and I'm a fit girl at like, I'm at like 165 right now of solid muscle. And so that's my frame now. And then when I was getting, when I had my eating disorder, I got down to like 128 to 130 ish. And I was playing D1 soccer at 135 at 5'9, five, 5'10. So that's tiny, right? And some women might be able to hold that frame well, um, but I did not just because of my activity level. And so for me, what it was is that was the early trigger. And then there were other triggers too, you know, and then in high school is when it was really triggered for me. And without getting into too much detail, mine was a response to a traumatic situation that happened to me. And it was how I found safety and how I found safety. And it's how I said, and especially as an eight, right? Like I can look back at this now on the Enneagram because I, one of my biggest fears is people having control over me, right? Like it's a big, like, that's just one of the things eights are like, Ooh, we don't like it when people have control over us. And so someone in my past took control of me. And so I took control of everything else I could. And so through mom doing Weight Watchers and one of my other good friends and her mom also, there were eating disorder issues that I kind of picked up on as well. It was one of those, all right, I can do this. And so I just did it and I dropped weight really, really fast. And it became full-blown anorexia and it became full-blown anorexia with the overtraining and working out as a really high level soccer player in the state of Georgia. And so I went through that in college at NC State. I played soccer there. At one point in my life, I was on antidepressants, bipolar meds, sleeping meds, and anxiety meds all at once. Mm -hmm. Why any doctor would do that to someone is beyond me, but they did. And I remember at one point just being like, this isn't the life I want to live anymore. Like I was drunk. I think it was my 21st birthday, no, 20th birthday on the bathroom floor. And I was like, dumped all the pills down the drain. Oh, and I was on Adderall. Great concoction. But so I just dumped everything and was like, there's more to life. And so I actually transferred schools. And then I saw a counselor up at University of Cincinnati where I was at while I was also still playing soccer. And then after that, to be honest, I was still struggling in that cycle, right? Like I was better. I wasn't anorexic anymore, but it turned into veganism. It turned into, I'm not saying that all vegans have eating disorders, but I am saying some people that have an eating disorder and turn then to vegetarianism, veganism, it's just another, it's just your eating disorder masking itself for some people. And that's what it was for me and still just was in that loop. And so a lot of it, by the time I was 25, 26, uh, I was doing missions work overseas and just really had like a come to Jesus for a lack of better terms and was like, this is not life. I'm not getting anything accomplished. I spent day in and day out. And so I sat and wrestled with a lot of my past wounds and issues. I forgave a lot of people. I forgave myself. And I was just like, all right, we're going on healing. So I stayed in counseling, kept doing counseling, worked with someone else on increasing food. And I basically was just like balls to the walls. I was like, we're fixing this. And I hate to use that term fix because I think people just try to fix people all the time because it really was a healing journey. Right. And there's some pivotal people I met that did some serious, wonderful counseling of my heart in my past and stuff. But it was in my mind, I'm going to fix this because I have a really high one too in my Enneagram. So that, that one is that perfectionism. But for me, it was, 
this isn't how I want to live anymore. How do I forgive? How do I find healing? And how do I move on? But also, how do I confront the PTSD or the problems where this is rooted in and let that go? Yeah. And I really do. I'm so happy that you brought up forgiving others, but also forgiving yourself to be completely honest. Like, I mean, it was 2013 when I was like, I cannot live like this Mm -hmm. anymore. And it's funny, but I mean, forgiving myself and forgiving others has not been part of my recovery up until six months ago which is crazy that more, you know, practitioners who specialize in eating disorder recovery or just like recovery in general, because I've definitely been recovered from anorexia for years, but it's like that mindset stuff that you still are working through and self-forgiveness is huge. Mm-hmm. So how can people, like, how did you get started with that? How did you face that? Because it can be really uncomfortable too. Yeah. So to be completely honest, I faced it when I was at a discipleship school. So I'm a Christian. I went overseas to a discipleship school and one of the sections, the lessons that we were learning was real forgiveness and actually confronting other people and asking for further forgiveness for things you had done and also confronting yourself. And that was the first time anyone had actually framed it like that for me, right? Because you always hear like, oh, just whatever, whatever, forgive person, don't do that. Like, or no one just talks about it. No one's like, oh, it happened six years ago, no need to forgive them. And I'm like, whoo, the more research I do today that looks into harboring emotions of like, like anger, upset, unforgiveness for years to the body, it actually shows the cells being dying off and being detrimental, right? And so it actually causes harm to our cells and our body, all these negative thoughts. And Dr. Caroline Leaf has so much research on this right now. And she's a, I don't know exactly what's a neuroscientist, I think is what she is, but she's also a psychiatrist. I think, don't quote me on that. Well, you're going to, because it's in here, but people, I might be wrong. I'm sorry, but it's Dr. Caroline Leaf. Anyways, she does a lot on how our thoughts actually change the chemistry of our body. And so it's fun pulling that research now. I didn't have that a couple of years ago, but a couple of years ago, I just got to the point where I was like, might as well give this a shot and see what happens. And so I started to learn, or I started to forgive other people. You know, I forgave my parents. I asked for their forgiveness too, right? It's not like a section of your life where you're like, oh, everything went against me. No, you had a part to play in this too. And you need to tell other humans that you're sorry as well. And so I asked for forgiveness and I gave forgiveness or gave my apology to people. And then I sat down with myself and I wrote my body a letter and it was so much more powerful than I could have ever expected. Cause you know, in our minds, we're like, write your body a letter, whatever, like body, sorry, I was mean, the end. No, I'm talking like sat and wrote pages and pages and pages of just everything I had done to my body and was just like, I'm sorry. And that's actually a section in my book too, that we're putting out, but it was one of the biggest shifts for me to be able to tell my body, I'm sorry for being, for lack of better terms, such a shit to it. Cause I abused my body into the ground mm-hmm. with the stuff I had done to it. And that forgiveness piece was probably one of the biggest catapults into healing 
Okay. Okay. So there's self-forgiveness. And then what are some other big things for you that were real game changers in your recovery? I know you talk a lot about changing your narrative. And for me, that was like number one. That's the very first thing that I did. And when I coach my clients, that's what we work on. So good. So good. So when we think about it and really like look into body image and our narrative and all of that, right? So body image is basically how we think, perceive, and feel in our body, right? And it's a lot of like, oh, I wake up and I feel gross. So I'm going to call myself fat, right? It's a bunch of different things. So changing your narrative is massive to me because I found that someone is an anorexic at 13% body fat, had more body image issues than a friend of mine who was healthy, a good 22% body fat, which is very healthy for a female because females get caught up in the fact thinking they've got to be like 15. And I'm like, that's so not normal. But for a female, 22 is really good, right? And she was perfectly fine. And I'm like, why do I think I'm fat? And she doesn't. And so a lot of other tools that I used were working on daily affirmations, really speaking life over myself, digging down to the ideal aesthetic I thought I wanted and why I wanted that. Mm -hmm. What meaning did I attach to that? Because then once I figured out that, I went, oh, that aesthetic actually means nothing because I had to get to the root for me that I was still safe loved and worthy, whatever other word you want to put in there that you're struggling with out, no matter what my body looked like. And then I think a biggest thing for me is I just started focusing on health, Mm -hmm. right? So I didn't have a period for freak. I don't even know how long, a really long time. I was on birth control and I was anorexic. So I just didn't have a period for a really long time. And then once I got it back, it was God awfully heavy. Once I finally got it back and then it went away again and then it came back and it's, it's good now but that's because I've been working on my body for the last four years and really being like, I just want health. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I can actually work out now too and focus on, I just want to move weight and be strong instead of, I want to move weight. So my ass looks a certain way, or I want to get a six pack. I could care less if I have a six pack. I honestly don't care at all. As long as I have a good shape and I feel good in my body and I can move weight around and just work on my heart. That's all I care about. And so reframing, reframing fitness was a huge activity. And then also I would say one of the last activities too was really celebrating other women. So a lot of women you'll find they're constantly comparing to other women because when you look at body image issues, it's always the social, cultural, and family. Those are the three primary influences on poor or positive body image, right? And we're talking about on a individual level. I'm not talking about on a cultural societal level that has to do with politics and everything. But those issues still 100% affect those, but I work just with the individual. And when we're looking at that, you'll see, oh man, what family dynamics need to change? Or, oh, what cultural stuff, the comparison, do I need to change? And so I stopped looking at people and being like, oh, that athlete can look like that. That means I can too. When no, my genetics, I will never be ripped with a jacked six pack and be healthy and happy. Maybe my body can. I actually don't want to know, right? But I had to go, that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. 
I won't look like that. And that being said too, also recognizing like I have a good body. I had to really sit down and go, this is my home, right? Like how dare I sit here and try to beat it up and throw it apart and just like burn it to the ground because it's my home. And if I want to be running around with my kids 50 years from now, my grandkids 50 years from now, technically, hopefully I'm not having kids in 50 years, but grandkids in 50 years, like I better start taking care of myself. And so I think I had a lot more shifts for another, for those people is start looking at 20, 30 years down the road. Don't look at right now because I'm gonna let you know, your body's not going to look the same in 30 years as it does right now. And so figuring out how to create peace with aging and your body changing, but also still being healthy and comfortable. And I don't think it's bad for people to want to look a certain way, right? As long as it's from a healthy place. And so exactly. And I love that about you, you know, is you can work to kind of shift some things about your body, but as long as you're always going at it with health as your number one. Now, I know you brought up health and how you kind of started to shift from trying to control your body and focusing on health. Do you see women doing that and then getting too caught up and fixated on like health and kind of getting that all scrambled up? Absolutely. Right. And like, I see women all the time that, so a lot of my women track macros, And if I see any weird obsessive, I'm like, hey, week off. Hey, you take every Saturday off, right? So I think macros are a really good tool for people when used right, right? So I work with a lot of women post eating disorder. And I do work with some women who have eating disorders as long as they get permission from their counselor and their doctor first. So I get signed permission from them and then I work with them. And it's always an open communication. We always work together. And so I know a lot of people are like, don't use macros for people with eating disorders. And I'm like, why not? If it gets them eating more food Mm -hmm. and it helps them learn to be healthy. And so I also work with women to get their periods back. And so we track food. And then once their cycle comes back, we just have them intuitively eat. Right. And so there's this interesting dichotomy between like, oh, it's obsessive and like people are over focused on health and they're over focused on their macros. But I'm like, Cool. Also, that girl who's been starving herself doesn't know how to intuitively eat because she's been starving herself. We have to actually track macros to reset her body to actually want to eat, quote unquote, intuitively before she can intuitively eat. Mm -hmm. And during that process, most women work on the healing process, too. Now, I do have some women that get obsessive with data. Right. I have another I do actually have one current client who she obsessed over the scale. She just obsessed. And I have other women that obsessed, but this girl like obsessed. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. While we're waiting, if you feel good in the morning and you're happy with your body, you're going to step on the scale. And that way we associate, doesn't matter what the scale number says, I feel good in my body. If we wake up and we feel not great, we don't step on the scale. And so we started to rewire her brain that whatever number showed up, it didn't matter because she felt good in her skin. Well, then it got to a point where she was just like, I don't want to see the number or I want to start weighing every day. So I was like, pull the scale, pull it. And she has not stepped on the scale. And I want to say like three months almost with me. And people are going to be like, that's such a data point. You're right. It is a data point. Guess what? She didn't hire me for weight loss or weight gain. She hired me to feel better in her skin and to eat more food. 
I don't need her scale weight to do that. And so she did tell me too last week, she stepped on the scale and she was okay with it. Cause she prefaced herself with like, I feel the best I felt in a really long time. And I'm eating the most food, whatever this number says, it will not trigger me. She stepped on, she was fine. Right. So I do think people can become obsessive in the wrong way. And if that becomes an issue, they need to pull back and take their self away from it. Right. A lot of people are like, and especially I think I did a post recently in orthorexia, right. With food, people get so obsessive with food and they're like, I can't even eat at whole foods. It's got canola oil. I'm like, cool. Like you're going to eat at home for the rest of your entire life and have no social engagements and never go out to eat because you're afraid that your restaurant cooks in canola oil. Like, don't get me wrong. No, canola oil is not the best oil, but there are so many other things people have to worry about before they worry about canola oil. Right. And I'm like, now don't get me wrong. Whole foods, you guys should stop using canola oil. But at the same time, you know, it's one of those things where people are so obsessive. Like they won't eat a PB and J because someone told them freaking almond butter was better than peanut butter. And now they're too afraid of peanut butter. So they're just going to eat almond butter for the rest of their life. But now they've created an allergy to almonds because they don't eat anything but almond butter anymore. And I'm like, Oh my God, why are we obsessed with this? And so, yes, I think people take it far too left or right field, whatever field you want to go out to because they're just afraid. Right. And so that goes all the way back to that heart posture. As I like to say it, I like to prefer, I like to call it a heart posture of, are you making choices out of fear or are you making choices out of giving life? Right. And so it, people just have to be careful and really look at the decisions and choices they're making and the why. And if they're getting too caught up on certain foods or data, then to know that that's still also an issue. And for the listeners that don't know what orthorexia is, orthorexia is an obsession with being overly healthy. So you only eat a small amount of foods that you deem healthy and you actually avoid social situations because you're too afraid they won't have foods that you can eat. You'll, you'll eat before you go out to events. And don't get me wrong, every now and then I'll eat before I go to an event if I know I just don't want that food. But you basically completely lose part of your life because you only eat X, Y, Z, because it's deemed healthy and that's it. And so orthorexia is absolutely an eating disorder. And it's a massive issue for a lot of people today because that's just where health has taken it. Health's basically fear mongling people into believing they can't eat anything anymore. It's so true. And it's so sad. But it's funny you brought up the Whole Foods thing because I totally wrote a post like that too. I was standing in front of the Whole Foods sign. And that's what my picture was. And you could tell who didn't read the caption because there were some people that commented saying, I wish they would just stop using canola oil. And that's exactly what I was talking about in the caption saying, you know, no, it's not ideal, but I freaking love Whole Foods. So I'm not going to. (laughs) I know it's the best. So you mentioned that when you you know, overcame anorexia, you kind of moved into veganism was like, obviously there was a point from then to now where you were like, what am I doing? And you really work to heal your relationship with food because it seems that you have a great relationship with food now. (laughs) So can we talk about that? Because I know there's so many women listening right now who are truly struggling with their relationships with food yeah i'm gonna say to preface it with like it takes time like for me to really heal my relationship with food took years 
right? Because I spent almost a decade having an unhealthy relationship with food. And so like for those struggling with it, like it takes time and be kind to yourself and show yourself grace because you're not going to just be healed with your relationship overnight. Um, That being said, when I switched over to veganism, it was just me trying to control everything still, but it had a label that was quote unquote accepted by society. And then I also was just getting sick a lot. And then I started actually diving into nutrition and science because I started to care more. And I was like, Ooh, veganism is not the best diet. And for those of you that are listening that are like, veganism is great for you. To be honest, I don't necessarily agree um, because you have to supplement to be a vegan because they're, you're lacking in some nutrients that you, in minerals that you can't get from a vegan diet. That being said, there are outliers and people do successfully be vegans, right? When they're healthy, their blood works great. Everything's great. And so for me, I looked at it and I just realized I was just afraid of meat. And I was like afraid of red meat because of the preconception that it had, right? Red meat's bad for you. It's bad for your heart, which is a massive lie when you look at the research today. But it started really just being like, I went from, I think I went from veganism to being a vegetarian and then a pescatarian. And then I think I finally went to paleo and Jesus, like, I'm like, can we stop switching from one fad to an, it's all, it's not all an eating disorder for everyone, but for people who have disordered eating, it's all disordered eating. If you're going from one fad diet to another fad diet, mm-hmm. let me also frame that an eating disorder and disordered eating are not the same thing. But if you have disordered eating, you are setting yourself up for an eating disorder down the line. You potentially can be, right? I don't ever want to speak that over anyone, but know that it's not healthy, right? So basically, I went from having an eating disorder to disordered eating and was like, ah, yeah, paleo, it's the new health thing. And it's still just putting food and giving food power over you. Mm -hmm. And once I started to really realize that food still had power over me, I was like, no. I'm going to get power over this in a healthy way, not in like a maniac kind of way. But I did paleo because I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. And so I did autoimmune paleo and I worked on my thyroid in my labs and I got everything for the most part really good again. And then I just started studying health more and I realized I'd been under eating massively. And so for the listeners that want to know, like I'm currently cutting on 3000 calories. Like I eat so much food and it's so great. And like massive shout out to muscle nerds and the guys over there, like Luke and Shane have done wonders with me and they're even, and I didn't even go to them with an eating disorder. Right. But I love food so much more now because they gave me so much more food because they were like, cool, you're starting on 3,500 calories. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Right. And so a part of that is just learning that if you eat food, that's good for your body, you're going to be fine. Right now, and I'm not talking like go eat a jar of almond butter because someone said almond butter is good. But I started to learn through tracking macros too, before I was working with muscle nerds, just how good you can feel when you eat enough. Mm-hmm. And so I finally just said, why is the bread bad? And then I said, because someone told me it was bad. Why is the Kerrygold grass-fed butter bad for me? Because someone told me it was bad. It's not bad for me. I labeled it bad. And so a lot of it was learning and digging in what's the best diet for the body. And the best diet for the body is one that works for you. Right? And so I was like, man, I love steak. I'm going to eat steak. And I ate it and I felt better. 
And also for women who have menstrual issues, by the way, like red meat's great for you. Mm-hmm. It's so good for your menstrual cycle. And so, but just, you know, stuff like that, I started learning. I was like, oh, I need more iron. Cool. I'm going to eat a steak. And so I just slowly over time started to look at each food and what it was really good for mm-hmm. and going, okay, this fresh made sourdough bread is good for me. Or maybe not, you know, I would eat it and I would say, how do I feel? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, oh, I got stomach pains. Maybe I don't eat that. Right. But I would eat other stuff and be like, I feel good. I don't have to binge. I don't have to be afraid of how much I'm eating. I can genuinely just look at food and be happy and content. I can go out to eat. You know this because you follow me on Instagram. I eat so much food and we eat out a lot. Luke and I do sometimes. Not all the time. We stay in and eat a lot too. But like when we're traveling, like when we were in New York a couple of weeks ago, we basically ate at every Asian restaurant we could find because we love pho and pad thai so much. And I can comfortably sit and do that now. Whereas before when I had an eating disorder, that would give me anxiety. And so a lot of it is just going for me to summarize all of that is, is this food good for me? How does it serve my body? And work on the feelings you have attached to the food. Because at the end of the day, if you're eating a plant-based diet with, with meat, right? Eat your plants, eat the meat. And then if you want some potatoes and rice and stuff, have it. I also just ate a peanut butter cup before we hopped on the phone. So that's great too, in moderation. So I think when you learn to feed your body and you feel well, that's mm-hmm. what you really heal your relationship with your body. Because my, my workouts are crazy, right? And like they program them. They're a little higher up there. We're pulling back right now, but it's because we feed me for that. And so for a lot of women too, figuring out what are they feeding themselves for? And that'll help a lot. And then lastly, I will say understanding that you probably need more food than you think you do. Yes. And I really want to talk about that because, so first of all, there are some podcasts that I've listened to or some, you know, people that I follow and people kind of get weird around numbers. Like they don't want to talk about how many calories and they're really hesitant to talk about that. But in previous episodes of my show, I have brought up numbers because I just think it's so helpful because we've been fed these lies that 1200 calories is enough for a woman. And honestly, this is like the reason that I reached out to you to help me and support me because all coaches need a coach and some like love and support to do their thing. And I knew that you know, I had a rough idea of how many calories I should be eating, but it's nice to have someone cheering you on and being like, okay, you're doing the thing. Like, I'm proud of you. Keep going. That sort of thing. And I love that you brought up how many calories you're eating, because I think it's so important for women to see that, like, we should be proud of ourselves for eating so many calories. Like, I think it's an awesome thing versus something to be like, ashamed of for thinking like, oh my gosh, look how much food I'm eating. Like I had to run to the grocery store this morning because I ran out of potatoes and I'm like, I need my carbs like all day. (laughs) And, you know, so anyways, let's talk about like kind of bashing those myths around the 1200 calorie thing and what like proper fueling looks like. Yeah. So 
I'll start off by saying it always just depends on the situation and the person, right? So 1200 in my mind is almost never okay. I feel like the only time it's okay is if we're in a serious cut phase for someone who's not that active at all and they can handle it, right? Other than that, I personally never take a client lower. I think my lowest client right now is at 1600 calories and she's crushing a deficit right now, like a cut. And she came to me for weight loss. And so, yeah, dude, she got to do, right? And so, and she's killing it. She's absolutely killing it. This is her second cut with me. And we're cutting her again on 1600 calories. And it's a pretty, that's pretty low for a lot of people, right? Because her maintenance is around, we've got her steadily maintaining her weight. So we did one weight loss, about 10 pounds, kind of brought her back up to like 23, 2400 calories for two months, stayed there. And now we're in another weight loss phase. Um, but like when she came to me, she was eating like 1500 calories. And I was like, whoa, you're a mom of two. You're running half marathons. You're active. What are you doing? Right. And so I do want to preface that for, a very select niche of humans, 12 to 13 might be okay for a short amount of time, but that's it. And the problem is, is we have people living at that or two, we have people thinking that's what they need to be eating and they're not really eating because they don't know how to really track their food. And so they're eating like 2,700 calories and I have no idea. So, but I will say the majority of the humans that work with me a lot of women come to work with me and I work with men too, but I predominantly work with women come to me because they want to eat more food because of what you just said. Media is telling me I need a 12 to 1400 or 1500 calorie diet. I'm training seven hours a week at the gym, eight hours a week at the gym. I'm doing CrossFit high intensity interval training. I'm also hitting my 10,000 steps a day. And I'm like, Ooh, how's your sleep? How's your uh, sex drive? how's your menstrual cycle? And they're like, Oh yeah, shit sleep. I don't really have a period. Um, I don't really have a sex drive either. I'm like, cool. You want those back. And for a lot of women, it takes time, right? For some women too, though, it can be a short eight to 12 weeks and we can get things back for other women. It will take me six to 12 months. Right. Um, and it just depends. It all depends on your history, your lifestyle and everything. And so for a lot of women, when you really look at it, a good 17 to 1800 calories, if they're not spending hours in the gym is a good starting point to look at. Right. And then I always tell people to adjust accordingly. And people will say this all the time, right? They don't want to talk numbers. And for some people, they don't want to track, and that's fine. I have them take pictures and put it in. So, you know, I use Chronometer, um, and I'll have them take pictures. You actually put pictures in, which is awesome, but you track, thankfully. But I'll have people just put pictures in. And I can look at their food and kind of roughly see how much they're eating. But I think it's important to talk about numbers because how else do you educate people, right? And so for women, I would say the majority of people are under eating or they're tracking incorrectly. So they think they're eating 1700 calories, but they're not because they're not actually weighing stuff. And like newsflash, when you say half a cup of oatmeal and then you weigh half a cup of oatmeal for the grams, they can be completely different. So you might think you're eating 1800 calories a day and you could be eating 2400, right? It's the same thing with two tablespoons, quote unquote, of peanut butter. And then you weigh it and you're like, oh, that two tablespoons is actually four tablespoons. That one's, that one's awful. I remember when I first did that, I was like, dang it. <laughs> um, but so I even thought for me, right? Like I had gotten up to about 27, 2800 calories for a little bit and then did a cut. And I thought that was a lot of food. And 
man, for my height and lifestyle, I needed 3,500 just to do a little bit of healing work. And then the thing is too, for women, they start eating more. I have a lot of clients. I bump up their food initially and they're like, I'm putting on weight. I'm like, all right, it's water weight. I bumped up your carbs by like 200 to 300 grams. Just calm down. And then they do. And then three to four weeks in, they're sleeping straight through the night. They're feeling good. And I'm like, Hey, we can pull some carbs back now. Now that you're feeling better and you're sleeping through the night, let's actually pull some carbs back and magic happens, right? They start to feel better. They feel stronger in the gym. They lose weight real quick because you just took a solid, all you had to do is take 300 calories away and they feel better. And so it's unfortunate. I had another client email me the other yesterday, actually, I think you saw this where she was like, just social media, man, people talking about eating 1200, 1300 calorie diets. And I've bumped her a thousand calories to 2,500 calories. Now she's only gained two pounds and it's been three months and she looks amazing still. Right. And she's sleeping through the night. Her menstrual cycle doesn't have any bad cramps. She's not bloating. She has energy. Like all these things are better. And she's like, Oh yeah. And so I think for a lot of women too, they get caught up in that ideal aesthetic or they remember the leanest they've ever been and how they got to be at that weight and that number. So they think they have to keep doing that. They don't realize that those of us that are in the fitness profession, we don't look like this 24 seven, right? Like I've gone through massing phases and cutting phases. I've gone through a phase where I was currently 10 pounds heavier than I sit at right now. Right? Like granted, that's a lot of weight, but Right now I ebb and flow like up and down five pounds, depending on my workout programming. And so for women, we have to realize that for certain aesthetics too, we just have to eat more. Like if we want to build a booty, you got to eat a little bit more food and that's okay. We just have to remember 1200 calories, 1300 calories, shoot, sometimes 1700, depending on how active you are, just isn't enough food. And two, if you don't want to be someone that is eating 3000 calories a day, which not everyone needs to, right? Some people are good at 24, 2500 calories, but like, you don't have to do it forever. You can jump back down. And I think the last important thing to remember is like, you can heal your body. You have not done so much metabolic damage unless you're like the 1% that you have destroyed your metabolism. It can, you can get that healed, right? Look at your, do you, do you have grandparents alive? Yes. One. One. How old are he or she? She's in her seventies. Great. Does she eat a lot of food? Yes. Yes. So my 94 year old grandmother crushes food still. I remember you posting about that. My little Southern Baptist grandmother who (laughs) I fell really far from the tree. For those of you that don't know me, I'm covered in tattoos, but anyways, We were visiting her and she just crushes food. And I'm like, okay, she's 94 in eating well still. And you know why? She's never been on a diet in her life. Mm -hmm. She's never starved herself for three or four years because she hated her body. And so our bodies want to eat food if we let them. But the problem is, is none of our bodies naturally know how to just eat anymore because we've done Weight Watchers, we've done Whole30, we've done Paleo, not, not knocking all of those, like rhyme and reason for some stuff. We've just created unhealthy habits for our bodies and they no longer, if you, for lack of better terms, our bodies don't know how to think for themselves. One question that I'm getting over and over and over again lately, just because I'm sharing with people that I'm being intentional about eating a certain amount every day. And what gets confusing for some women is the fact that they are told that they 
should just listen to their body, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And people are getting confused as to like why you have to make sure you're eating a certain amount, you know, yeah. because or else you'll be under eating. And I mean, like for me personally, in the summertime, when I notice that like, okay, I'm a lot smaller than you know, what I should be. And I opened up my fitness pal, pumped in like a few days and I was averaging like 1700, 1800 calories. Like, and that was just like going based on my hunger throughout the day. Yep. And that was like adding a lot of fat because I wasn't hungry ever. So I was like, well, I might as well add a ton of fat to make sure I'm getting calories. Yep. So I might piss some people off with this, but you know, I think the whole movement where people are pushing this on everybody. So let me, I'm going to, I'm going to touch on this, but I think the whole movement of just listen to your body is bullshit because I don't think we know how to listen to our bodies anymore. Now I think some people do, and I can intuitively eat today because my body has been reprogrammed how to intuitively eat. Right. I go out, like I just said, I had a freaking Justin's peanut butter cup before this because I wanted to. I can go out to dinner. I actually made a post about this the other night. My boyfriend, Luke, and I went on a date night to a Mex, not Mexican. It was barbecue tacos, which, by the way, is brilliant. I don't know who thought of that, but that's genius. So we did that. We ordered one of every side. We got half a pound of pork and brisket, and we had the tacos. We each had two tacos, some of the sides, and we were both done. Now, for women who have issues, have disordered eating, a lot of them are going to binge on that. Right. And a lot of them actually don't know what it likes, what it feels like to actually be full because mm-hmm. they're so desensitized because they eat dinner with their phone or they eat dinner watching a movie. Right. They don't know what genuinely listening and their body feels like listening to it. Right. They don't know what full really feels like. And for a lot of people too, especially if you're training and lifting weights, you need a little bit more protein. And so for some people, when they eat intuitively, man, I'll get client diaries and I'm like, whoa, what's happening? And their protein's at like 30, 40 grams a day. And I'm like, whoo, no wonder we're not holding on to any lean muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think, yes, people can eat intuitively and they can listen to their bodies if their bodies know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. I have a lot of clients that I let and support eat intuitively all the time and not track for a month if they don't want to, because I've built them to the place where they're used to looking at food and going, all right, I've got salmon, some green beans and a beautiful sweet potato mash to go with this. Right. Or they'll be like, I can go eat and smash some sushi and know that maybe I need to keep my carb and take lower for the rest of the day. And it's not this, like, I deserve carbs. I don't deserve carbs. I'm like, no, everyone deserves carbs. They're human living, breathing beings. But if you're unhealthy and all you're craving cereal all the time and sugar all the time, you probably shouldn't intuitively be eating cereal for every meal. And so while I respect some of that movement, I also think that setting up a lot of people for a lot of unhappiness or like dissatisfaction because they're being told to intuitively eat, but their bodies don't know how to intuitively eat because they've tried to diet for eight years. Exactly. So 
I think that's where a lot of the issues come from. You know, when I get those questions from women, like, why can't we just listen to our bodies? It's like, well, you've spent how many years of your life not listening to your body? So do you think that just like all of a sudden it's going to give you all the proper signs and cues? No. And just to your point on, you know, saying going out for tacos and you said a lot of women would like binge on that food because they're like just coming from a place of restricting all the time. And when they're out to eat, sometimes they eat a lot of food. I know on the flip side, there's a lot of women that have absolutely no idea like what hunger actually feels like. And I know I was one of those women for a really long time. Like I would wait until I was really hungry to eat because I just like couldn't identify that I was hungry unless I was really hungry. Yep. And now, yeah, exactly. And now since I've been eating more, I'll get like a little tingle of hunger. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to eat like right now (laughs) because I'm hungry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that lack of hunger is a sign that something's not right. Exactly. Right. Like if you're going forever, now don't get me wrong. If you just ate a meal and you're not hungry for a couple hours, that's fine. This whole like six meals a day. I'm like, look, I don't care how many meals you eat a day. Just make sure they're balanced. Make sure they're like equally portioned wheat meal. Don't eat like a 400 calorie meal than a 1900 calorie meal. Like just make sure you fit them in the day. To be honest, there's some days I don't eat until like 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And that's just because I don't want to. It's not because I'm not like, trust me, I eat, I'm have a hunger signal, but there's some days where I'm just like, I don't really want breakfast right now. So I don't eat it. And it's also because you're healthy too, though. There's a lot of women that shouldn't wait that long. No, there's a lot of women who shouldn't wait that long. Um, because while fasting can be good too long, if fasting for too prolonged is not as great in women, especially if they've got menstrual cycle issues and blood sugar issues and all these things, but not having a hunger sign is usually a sign that something's wrong ever, right? If you're just going throughout the day all day and you never really get a hunger sign, that's that's a sign that your body is like, can we investigate a little bit more? And usually what happens is, is I increase women's food intake. I give them more calories, more food to start eating. And all of a sudden they're like, I can't believe I'm hungry, right? Like I have a girl that's um, uh, training for Kona right now. She does triathlons. She's doing an Ironman. And I bumped up her food again. And she was like, on her off day, she was like, I'm starving. And I'm like, I know, that's a good thing. And we get trained to be afraid of hunger. And we get, you know, we get, we're told that hunger is a bad thing. Or we're told that extreme hunger is a good thing. It depends on what end of the spectrum you're on. But I think for a lot of women, they get afraid of hunger too. And they think it's a bad thing. I'm like, hunger is a good thing. Your body is allowed to be hungry. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be mad that you're hungry. Don't be upset. Just learn to feed your body properly so you have hunger signs, but you're still feeding yourself enough. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, girl, I could talk to you forever and ever, but there is one thing that I really want to make sure we talk about before we wrap up the show, and that's your book that is going to be coming out in the near future, I assume. Yes. Awesome. So can you share a little bit more about that with us? Yeah. So... It's funny, you mentioned it earlier uh, about how I'm focusing with women on changing their narrative and the book is actually called Changing Your Narrative. And what happened was when I was in graduate school, I wasn't going on to get my PhD, so I didn't want to write a thesis paper. 
I was just like, how do I get out of writing a paper? And so I asked my mentor if I could write a book on body image and everything that I've researched. And I I do qualitative research. That means I sit down with women like you face to face, except it's not as empathetic as this because I have to have a questionnaire and I have to stick to that, you know, guidelines and rules, but now it doesn't matter. And I can research whoever I want and don't do that. But it's because I'm not publishing through school and scholarly anymore, but I used to anyways. So what I did was I was like, I don't want to write a book. I want to do a workbook. And so I wrote a workbook for women to work through their individual body image issues. And so I took the 50 something interviews I did and I was like, all right, what are the correlations? What are the commonalities? So I sat down in my living room for, and I started cutting out answers and piling them into where they fit with other answers. And one of the biggest things, like we mentioned earlier that I found is every woman was like, I remember when this happened. And I was like, Ooh, that's, that's powerful. I need to put that in the book. So I basically took that. And then I took exercises that I found that worked with my clients because I've worked with a lot of women on healing their relationship with their body. And a lot of that's like daily affirmations. So one of the, for example, one of the sections in the workbook is writing down an affirmation, putting it on your mirror and speaking it over yourself every single day. And another exercise, like we actually talked about in the podcast earlier was writing a apology letter to your body, but also writing an apology letter to humans who've hurt you. You don't have to give it to them if you want. Great. You don't have to though. You just get that out there. Right. And so I took that and then I took my current background with nutrition and fitness. And while I'm no longer in a gym as a personal trainer, I still have a background in it. Right. I also don't really, I have a handful of clients I do their fitness for, but I don't promote it anymore. Um, just because I've really fallen in love with the body image and the food with women more than the fitness, but I still have a section on like, Hey, instead of trying to go after a six pack, why don't you go after moving your body and just feeling good? And instead of lifting weights because you hate your body, why don't we focus on what the body's good at doing instead of setting aesthetic goals? Why don't we set goals for squats or why don't we set goals for a a 5k, whatever it is that your goal is focus on that. And then lastly, there's nutrition talking about stress. So there's a lot of research awesome research that shows how you perceive food actually affects how you break it down. Right. So if I had a piece of cake in front of you and I said, how do you perceive this? And you said, Oh, I perceive it as like indulgent and bad for me. And then you ate it. Obviously your blood glucose would rise, your stress level would rise, all this would rise because you perceived it as bad, but they have real studies that do this too, which is the coolest thing. If you look at that cake and you perceive it as good and fine for you, it actually, your body is going to process it better than people who perceived it as bad for them. And so I talk about stress and food. And then there's a section to helping women. I don't tell women how to find their calorie intake. I don't do that. I think that's dangerous getting from a book, like figure it out with a coach or figure out like a rough ballpark. And I help people saying like, Hey, like this might be a good idea, but also work with like other humans. Right. I will never put out a book. That's like, this is science. Like I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I have a lot of research that can help people, but I'm also going to tell people, go find people who can really, really help you. And so it's just a good base when it comes to nutrition. And it it talks about all the fad diets, keto, whole 30, no sugar, low sugar, have sugar. I kind of break down all the diet fads and I'm like, Hey, look, what works for you? Also, by the way, keto most likely will not work for you if you're a female. They're outliers and it works for some people, but most women need about at least 150 grams of carbs to 200 grams of carbs to menstruate. So 
So there um, you go. <laughs> so there you go. Eat your carbs. Um, but that being said, you can go low, low carb at times. Just be with someone, work with someone who knows what they're doing. That's all that to say. So it's, yeah, it's a workbook and a tool that doesn't really exist. And it's a lot of my personal story throughout the pages. Um, but it's just, it's for people to really sit and work through week to week at their own pace to really get to the root of their body image issues. And then it provides practical steps to work through all of them. It's not a book to help you get better in the kitchen or how to get a six pack. And most likely you're not going to be healed through working through the workbook, but you're going to be in a better place. And so we beta tested it because I used to be a college professor. So we beta tested it on a class and it had great results and responses. So we're in the final stages. I'm adding some to it now and we're cleaning it up. Like I said, we've got that graphic designer and photographer to do some work now. So yeah, I'm really excited about getting it out. Well, I'm so proud of you and we'll definitely like share it on the show when it does come out. So everyone knows. That's great. So thank you so much for joining me today. And one last question, what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? To be unbreakable, I think people have to almost also know that being breakable is not bad. And so being unbreakable in my mind means that I am open and able for other things to come into my life and shift, right? And to not have control over everything. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So where can people find you, Rachel? Yeah. So people can find me right now on Instagram. My handle is just my name, Rachel Ray Barnett, R-A-C-H-E-L-R-A-E, not Y. And then my last name, Barnett. Um, And then I do have a website. There's not much on it. We're getting a facelift here in the next few months, which is exciting. Um, Honestly, Instagram's basically it at the moment. Uh, We're having a YouTube come out in the next couple weeks, which is really cool. Kind of nerve wracking, but we'll see what happens, but there'll be a more interactive YouTube for people to start throwing some questions out. But Instagram's about it right now, to be honest. Fun. The YouTube (laughs) will be cool to watch. So thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you for having me. 